Pastor Scott and lead pastor of the river. And really glad that you're checking out our uh, online podcast and our services and hope that you are blessed by this. Certainly, if you have any questions, if you're wondering about stuff that goes on here or maybe you're checking out our website more and seeing things that you uh, are wondering whether or not you might want to participate in them, feel free. Contact us in the office. Give us a call. Send us an email. Um, we'd love to hear from you. love to answer any questions that you have. Uh, we hope that you are blessed by what you hear on, on this podcast. We hope that God's Word continues to have power in your life. And we pray that uh, God makes himself known, that you know how much he truly, truly, truly loves you. Thanks for checking us out and uh, enjoy the service. This morning, we want to continue with that theme uh, in the book of Romans chapter 13. We are in a series called Truth That Transforms, things that God has spoken that change us. And we are reading Romans 13, beginning at verse 1. Before we do that, let me offer a word of prayer. God, this is your world. It is the world where you are king. It is a world that belongs to you, that was created by you and for you. Remind us this morning that our time here is but a vapor, that we exist only for a short time to give you honor and praise and glory with our lives. We submit them and give them to you again and ask this morning that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Romans 13, beginning at verse 1. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. For revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Why in the world is this text in the Bible? Why in the world are we reading about taxes and revenue and government in church? I want to take you back to the first century, to Paul's world. Imagine you're a new convert to the way or Christianity, living in Rome 
the largest empire the world has ever known in the West until that point. You're attracted to the way because of this community's love and freedom. You're mesmerized by the stories that they tell about Jesus. And you become persuaded over the course of your interaction in this community that Jesus is king, that he and not Caesar is the ultimate reality of the universe. You're baptized into his family and you become a citizen of his kingdom. You scoff at Roman phrases that you've grown up around, like Caesar is God, and you curse the soldiers who are standing along the roadside asking for taxes, guarding the booths as though their life depended on, demanding that you carry their bag from place to place. You say to yourself things like, I can't wait till Jesus comes back and tickles their toes with fire. Then they'll see. Thankfully, you've become a new creation. You have this new citizenship. Because of this citizenship, you no longer care what these wicked men, these pagans say. You say things like, they're not the boss of me. Like my kids. You say this because Jesus is your king. And his kingdom and citizenship is not of this world. The world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. But, but Paul's not content with this kind of otherworldliness. He's not happy with a Christianity that just looks at the next life and says, you know what? Yeah, forget it. They can't do anything to me in this world. I, I'm living for the next one. Paul's not content to leave you and I there, living in a different place at a different time. He recognizes something about this world, here and now. To Paul, history is heading somewhere. It has an end and a culmination. It's going somewhere, and God is the one who's authoring it. God is the one who's driving it. Consider for a moment where this passage is located. If you have your Bible, look right before Romans 13. Scott spoke about this last week. Read this text with me. Um, in verse 20, he says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In the passage preceding that one, the paragraph preceding that one, he talks about how to live with our enemies. And this idea is that we don't overcome evil with evil, but evil with good. Now, I always thought when I read this next line, in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, that the way to really hurt people was to love them. You see, Jesus was ultimately still about hurting people, but he just wanted to hurt him with love. And it never really made sense to me. But I read recently something about this text that I want to share with you. Where is this from? Romans 12, verse 20. Anybody know? Proverbs. Yeah, there's a little note in your Bible that says this is taken from Proverbs. And Proverbs are what? A collection of sayings, right? Sayings from whom? Well, sayings from sort of the nations. 
sayings that have been collected from kings, pagan, ones who don't necessarily believe in God, that don't necessarily trust in Yahweh. So Proverbs is a collection of sayings from all these different parts of the world that are gathered and that we say are inspired. And here's the deal with heaping coals on somebody's head. To desert people, to nomadic people, coals are really, really important, right? Fire is really, really important. It matters. And to have fire is to have sort of like this life with you. If your fire runs out and your coals are no longer there, that's trouble. That's trouble for you and your tribe. But if there was a neighbor, if there was somebody who would give you coals, you might take your coal bucket and ask them and put it on your head and walk back to your camp. And so an interpretation of this passage that I think makes more sense is that with our enemies, with those that we maybe don't understand, a better posture than violence, a better posture than accusation, a better posture than judgment is one of blessing. By loving your enemies, by feeding them when they're hungry, by giving them something to drink when they're thirsty, you're going to be offering them a blessing they would have never expected. And in doing so, you're going to share in the ministry and the work of God in the world. As Paul understands the powers that be, the authorities that exist, they have been established and instituted, he uses the word, by God. Now, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that every authority is godly. It doesn't mean that everyone over you is necessarily serving or um, understands their place in the kingdom of God. Paul is saying, no, authority has been instituted, has been placed there by God as a part of his order for the universe, as a part of him taking history somewhere to some end. It doesn't mean that all the time our rulers are godly, but it does mean their office has been instituted and established by God. In Paul's understanding, there is a hierarchy, and he is not on top. Here's why this is a challenge for me, and maybe for you this morning. Because I naturally don't like to be told what to do. I'm naturally pretty rebellious. Somebody said to me this week, uh, they grew up in the 60s. Say no more, right? We, we naturally don't like authority if you maybe are like me. I, I don't want someone else to tell me what to do. You don't own me what is my attitude often. And Paul is saying in this text, hold on a second. Authority is part of God's instituted order for how he is taking history and moving it forward. Now, verse 3. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be fear, free from fear for the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. Here's why this is a challenge for me, because we can say so quickly, yeah, but what about governments that are very clearly evil? 
What about Nazi Germany? What about communist Eastern Bloc? What about governments that kill people and invite their citizens to do the same? Surely you're not saying, Paul, that we should submit and go along with that plan. Historically, biblically, if you look at sort of the arc of how the Jewish people interacted with the governments that they were taken over by, you would say, no, absolutely not. When sort of governmental law conflicts with the moral law or the law's written into the universe, when they conflict with what God's intention and purpose is for humanity. We see clear examples in the scripture of people um, living disobediently. Take Daniel and his friends for an example. Daniel and his friends are serving in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, and they have great favor. Why? Because they have offered themselves in service to the king. They've said, Nebuchadnezzar, we want to help. We're going to help you flourish. We've been placed in this time as a part of your kingdom, and we want to help you rock it. And so Nebuchadnezzar comes to love Daniel and his friends. They are favored among the people. And you guys know the story. The other wise men get kind of jealous, and they're like, hey, um, Nebuchadnezzar, make a law that everybody has to bow down to you, Right? And Daniel and his friends are like, no, hey, Nebuchadnezzar, we love, we're going to do whatever we can, but we can't do that. That goes against this conviction that we have, that God is the king of the universe. So this goes against that. Now, one of the things when we're engaged in civil disobedience that we have to understand is be prepared to suffer the consequences. In acts of civil disobedience, if you think about kind of the 60s here, as people were standing up to a government where they saw segregation and and laws that were oppressing people, and they stood up and they said, hey, no, we're not going to be a part of this anymore. They were prepared to face the consequence for their action. Paul's not saying, hey, just go along with everything. He doesn't actually use the word obey. He uses the word submit. Recognize their authority. Recognize their place. Recognize that God has instituted this office to carry history somewhere. Be prepared if you act disobediently to suffer the consequence. Now, here's a word and a phrase that comes three times in this text. Three times. If it happens twice, it's repeated, it's important. If it happens three times, it's what? Very important. Three times, Paul writes... That government or the instituted order is God's servant to do you good. I'll say it again. Paul writes, the instituted order, the government, is God's servant in a place to do you good. Remember, he's not saying this in a democracy. He's saying this in an empire that he had no say over who was ruler and who was not. He's saying this sort of evil empire, this thing that is easy to demonize, is in a place, in a position of service to others. Here's why I think this is important. Because it's really, really easy to objectify people. It's really, really easy to make people into something that dehumanizes who they are. We can label them with a 
certain title that makes them something other than image bearers of God. We can call them things that then they become less than we are. Let's perfectly honest, 100%. How many of you have ever done this with a government official? Be honest, I have. You've called them something or said something, and in you there was this sense of they are less than human. We forget that those folks are people created in the image of God who have families and friends and a culture and a way of life just like you and me. Paul recognized in the early Christian community, like Jesus, our inclination to demonize people. And when we demonize people, we set them outside of the grace of God. When we make people an object, we set them outside of God's love for them or outside of our community. Think of the story that Andy shared this morning about engaging in dialogue with Muslim leaders, with imams, Christians and Muslims, talking about keeping peace. How often don't Christians and Christian communities demonize Muslims to the point where there's no possibility of fellowship or conversation? And you know what happens when there's no opportunity for conversation? Nobody's talking about Jesus. Nobody's sharing the good news of the gospel. Nobody's telling their story about a life of addiction and how God touched their mind and healed them in an instant. Nobody's sharing about the difficulty that they've been through, that God has brought them through to strengthen them so that they might be a blessing to others. Nobody's talking about their challenges being a part of a, a religion that was very kind of closed off. Nobody's talking about that because they can't get over the noise of accusation. Paul is reposturing for the early church who people in authority are. They're not just fill in the blank with whatever name you want to call them. They are God's servants. Here's the challenge. They may not even know that they are God's servants. They may have no concept of God or his purpose or his kingdom or what his work is in the world. They may have no idea about this. And what does Paul say? Submit to them anyway. Be a team player. Engage in ways that aren't thwarting their authority, but that honor them where honor is due. Paul is humanizing the authority by acknowledging that they are servants. They're just people in positions of service. Paul's acknowledging that ultimately there is an author, the one with all authority, who is writing the script. Submit yourself to them, he says, because one, otherwise you may be punished, and two, so that you may have a clear conscience. Paul's saying that to live as Christians is to live as ones who recognize that all of life, all of life, all of it, even your taxes, even that money that you hate to give back to the government, even that belongs to God. 
all of our life is being authored by somebody, and it's not you, and it's not me. And that's hard, because I don't like to give up control. But the reality is, everybody in this room is under authority. Everybody in this room is under someone's authority other than their own. Everybody here lives a life of submission. The question is, like, are you doing it with sort of hands open, understanding that there is authority over you? Or are you doing it like holding on and clutching as hard as you can? If the world is a chaotic free-for-all without order, without purpose, without an end, then by all means, clutch and grab and pursue as much of the stuff that you can for yourself. But if the order of the universe has been established and is headed somewhere where Jesus is on a throne, if the order of the universe has been established and history is headed somewhere where we're all singing and honoring and worshiping God with enemies and with people that maybe we didn't think would be there, then how much more shouldn't you and I live like this? Hands open. How much more shouldn't you and I live submitted to what God is doing in our lives, to the one who's authoring even the authorities? Where in your life right now do you kind of have like a, a, a stranglehold on something? Where in your life right now do you have a really a hard time acknowledging that there is an authority and it is not you? That there is one who sits on a throne and is the king and it is not you? Where in your life do you have a hard time submitting and living open-handed? Is there a place... Maybe it is your finances. Maybe it is specifically your taxes. Maybe it's in giving. Maybe there's a place where you feel like you, you want to control this part of your life. Maybe it's your future. You're not sure what it looks like, and so you want to hold on to it and hang on to it and pretend for a moment that you are the author, that you are the authority. Maybe it's your past, and there are people you're just having a hard time letting go of, or there are things that you did or experienced that you're having a hard time letting go of, and, and because you want the authority in that place, you're not prepared to let it go. You want to hang on. You want to control it. You want to continue hurting somebody for something in the past. Where in your life are you hanging on tight? Where in your life are you holding on Instead of what Paul invites us to do, submit. Submission isn't a posture of weakness. Submission isn't about being whatever weak. It's acknowledging that history and the universe is headed somewhere, that your life is headed somewhere that God actually has a plan, that God actually has a purpose, that it's going somewhere, and it's being authored, that there is an authority, that it is not you, and that you're open to receiving it. It's interesting that there's no freer place than under authority. 
There's no place that we're more free than when we're submitted to authority. Think about for a moment the person who convinces themselves that they don't need anybody in charge of them. As a matter of fact, they're not prepared to sort of live within the order. They're in a relationship. Let's say they're married. And one day, the husband or the wife choose one of them, says, you know what? I'm not down with this order anymore. I'm going to go do my own thing. I got my own plan. Like, you know, I know we got kids and that whole thing, but I'm going to go look for some other people that, like, we're going to be a thing with or whatever, right? Um, so they go and they cheat and they have this other relationship. And then they come back and they're like, you know what? I'm so sorry. I thought I was kind of like free and I wanted to be free. I wanted to be like free to do whatever I wanted to do. And what I realized in the process was that I really care about you. Uh, think about the chaos that that lack of order creates. Think about the chaos that that sort of wanting to be free and outside of any sort of authority creates in that relationship. What does that do to that person's relationship with their kids? What does that do to that person's Christmas time the next year? It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. There's no freer place than when we're under authority. You and I in our lives often live like we want to be free. We don't want to be under what God is saying. I hear kids talk about this all the time. I just want to have fun. I just want to have fun. I don't want to kind of live within like the order that God has established for me. I want to do my own thing. And the invitation of God is to say, listen, like you can be free. Be free within relationship with me. You're free as you submit to me. You're free to flourish. You're free to be who I've created you to be as you live a life of faithful submission to me. Put your hands out for a moment. Clutch them tight so your nails dig into your palms. Where in your life do you resist God and his authority? Is it the future? Is it the past? Is it something in the present? Maybe it's the government. Maybe it's your finances. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friendships. Maybe there's just like this deep, sinking loneliness. And you want to hang on to that thing. And this morning, you have the opportunity to hang on to that thing. You can hang on to it. You can keep doing that. You can maintain that posture, that grip, that stronghold. How many of you, your fingers are getting sore? Or you can open yourself. Open your hands. You can submit yourself to God, to his purposes, for your future, for the redeeming of your past, for your present. You can submit yourself as a servant. This morning, I want to invite you to do that. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I want to lead us in a time of prayer. Maybe there are specific things in your life or your neighborhood or your community or people that you've just been holding on to. You've been clutching to try to control them. There have been scenarios that you're just like, ugh. This morning's an opportunity for you to release that, to submit yourself again to the God who is taking history somewhere. Often, 
with people who don't even know he's real. He's taking your life somewhere, perhaps in the hands of somebody who doesn't even acknowledge his name. Maybe it's like a boss who's just mean and a jerk and curses God. And God says, I'm taking the world and you somewhere. Submit to that. Let's pray. God, this morning I confess that I like to be in control. God, I confess that at the core I'm rebellious. That I want to be independent. That I want to be free. And I, I sometimes convince myself that that means living outside of of things that you've ordered, cutting corners. God, we confess as a community our, our desire for independence. We confess that at times we're rebellious, that we don't listen. We haven't always loved our enemies well. We haven't sought to serve. And in places, we've thrown stones. In places, we've tried to control God, this morning we again submit ourselves to you. We submit our lives to you. We submit our future to you. We submit our past to you. God, we submit our families to you, our friendships to you. Submit our workplaces to you. Lord, we submit our governments to you. We submit um, other religions to you. God, we want to walk in your way. We want to walk in your truth. We want to be transformed by your spirit into the likeness of your son. And so again this morning, would you meet us as we submit ourselves to you? In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.